the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful spells. She's actually sitting me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of That Witch Life Podcast. I am your host, Kanani. And I'm Hillary. And I'm Courtney. And today we're going to be discussing the independently produced Thorn Trees, which focuses on the lives of witches and the Elizabethan era. Super excited uh, to be talking to them today. Um, But in the meantime, what's been going on with everybody? Mercury retrogrades ruining my life and I want it to end now. Uh, same. It locked me. Okay. Well, I probably shouldn't complain as much as Hillary. So I'll get my complaints in first while I still have the sympathy of the audience. But, um, I got locked out of my work computer and I can't get in and it has all my violin music on it. So I can't get in and play. I'm sad. What? That's annoying. Very annoying. Yeah. I lost power for, uh, two, two and a half days. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And, uh, during ice and snowstorm. So that was fun. Um, and yeah, like I've had, I swear to God, every piece of electronic equipment in my life is like, like my phone keeps randomly like rebooting itself. Like my laptop wouldn't log into my work drive this morning. I just was like, what? Why? It's like, why? 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 Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. So annoying. Yeah. The ice, the ice storm was a spectacular showing over here. Um, I know. Giant icicles. It looks like swords coming off my shed and roof. Yeah, it was crazy. We had in in the Portland metro area, there were 4,400 down power wires. Um, And I think something like 10 stations were down. I don't know. Like it was a mess. So there, there are still a bunch of people without power. I'm grateful that mine has come back on. Yeah. So I can take a shower. Giving love to our listeners in Texas, if they're oh, even yeah. getting to hear this. Um, you know, I know a lot of it's them really have been out, out for days. Um, my friend Megan down there, they've been without power and heat for, gosh, several days now. And it's really cold. And so uh, thinking about you guys, that's really hard. Yeah, for sure. So I had another really weird dream. And I'm sure I've actually found it helpful to tell people on this podcast about the weird dreams I had. Cause then when I'm listening to our podcast a week later and I forgot about the dream, I realized it was a premonition. So, um, last night I dreamt about these weird kind of Aryan nation guys that were trying to kidnap me with a paper gun. And I just looked at them and said, no, <laughs> you were like, put your paper gun no. away. Actually, re you're going to love this. I was protected by them because protected from them because there was a white van between us. <laughs> I mean, 
so it must have really happened then. It it's must have somehow it, somehow the return of the white van is going to happen and save your life. And that was our that was a spirit white van that was chasing us. If you all remember a couple of episodes ago, Hillary and I were talking about our white van incident. We were in high school. We thought a white van was following <laughs> us. It wasn't following us, but we was like two or three of the most terrifying moments of our life, thinking we were being chased by <laughs> our, a white van. Our yeah. white van incident. Our white van incident. And I'm thinking now the white van was a spirit white van and oh, the, the, it, it comes to protect us from the scary things in our dreams that's valid. So. <laughs> that's valid that's valid yes i've been mostly purge well because everyone knows if they listen to our last episode um i bought a house uh or, or i'm about to close on a house and so uh, it's been, I'm trying to like get in the Marie Kondo mindset so because I'm like, I need to let go of some things. And Does I'm it give me joy? Not did it give me joy at one time? Not might it give me joy again at some point? So I, I should know. put it in a box in case it does. <laughs> but I got to, I got so much Taurus in my chart and that is just like collect things. Things are comfort things, 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 things. And they're everywhere. And I'm just like, okay, I need to just like let go of things and manifest comfort and stability somewhere else. (laughs) Here's the truth. If you've ever given something away and wished you hadn't, Yes, actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's just because was that's it your, how my was it your sanity or your dignity or something like that? It was my dignity. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah. I gave Kanani a bunch of jewelry, so she's stoked. Are Which was beautiful. Are you sparkly now, Kanani? It was beautiful, and she even gave a couple pieces to my daughter, and my daughter oh. was very excited. Was she excited? Was she? She so was excited? very excited. Well, and some of the pieces, like I told you, were some of the pieces you gave her had like turquoise, and that's her birthstone. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. so she, that was very cool. I didn't realize turquoise was December's birthstone. How did I not it's know like, that? It's like turquoise and like blue topaz and like oh, some other things. Topaz, I've heard. I didn't hear. I didn't hear um, turquoise. Mine is the ruby. Um, I think the, the moonstone. Oh, Re, your mom gave me a beautiful piece of moonstone many, many years ago. And I used to love that piece so much. And I was going to um going to some concert or something one night while I was in New York and something told me not to wear it. And I wore it anyway. And guess what? It got it fell off. It fell off. Yep. I mean, I have made that mistake before where I'm like, I actually have a weird thing where if I wear, especially stone jewelry for too long without cleansing it, it just erupts off of my neck, oh. especially necklaces. It just shatters or breaks or you said your birthstone is moonstone and I don't, I guess it's, I don't remember if it's a, if moonstone, I know Ruby is my, is July's birthstone. Kanani, what's your October baby? What's when yours again? Yeah, I feel like I have no idea. Oh, I can tell you. So yeah, birth uh, July is ruby, and I think these um, birthstones are totally a, a. They're just a whatever manufacturerism. Manufacturerism. Uh, I just made up a Octo- word. Octo- I just manufactured is... a new word, and it's manufacturerism, and it's manufacturized <laughs> by the jewelry industry. Just like diamonds are actually crap. October is a uh, traditionally um, opal and or tourmaline. That's um, right, opal. May, which is mine, is emerald. Makes sense that Kanani would have the fussy stone. I can't be exposed to water. It's really going to put dirt on me. And it's shiny. (laughs) Yeah. I have emerald, and emeralds are expensive. So it's like I have one 
very small emerald piece that was for my grandmother. But like, I don't have, I mean, ever, I, mean, I remember as a kid being like, oh, can I get, you know, like, oh, I want to get my birthstone. Cause like some of my friends, yeah, had like rubies are the same, but like some of my friends, you know, it's like, oh, you your stone is like moonstone or a pearl, like, you know, cool. And then I'm like, what's mine? Oh, I want to get it. And it's like, oh, that's thousands of dollars. Like, never mind. Just so we're going to go to Claire's and get you a little green colored piece well, of glass you and tell can, everyone it's an emerald. You can get, actually, one cool thing you can do for people that are up in this area is you can get uh, emeralds that have been manufactured using Mount St. Helens ash. Oh, nice. Right. And so they'll do emeralds and stones like that. So they're artificial, but they're used... They basically just create an environment for them to grow like that, mm. but they u- they utilize the ash from Mount St. Helens. So that's nice. Um, well, back in the day, not so much, not anymore, but back in the day, like years after Mount St. Helen erupted, there were piles of ash up and down I-5. I remember we moved to Oregon in 86, and that was like six years after Mount St. Helens blew. I still remember the piles of ash that were like half as high as the car. Oh you yeah, know. it's crazy. So I mean, like paperweights. I mean, all kinds of stuff with it. You know, it's which really should be left and left to the soil because it enriches it. But when you're actually trying, when it's like, sorry, civilization, we're trying to build things. We got to do something with this ash. Let's make it into emeralds and give them to Hillary. We have, I think, most of my my father and all his siblings, because my grandparents lived in Washington, um, got they all have baby jars full of it. Because my grandfather just collected it from his roof, mm. and he filled it with jars, and he kind of sent it to people. It's it's um essentially it's I had there. a really fascinating was a good learning experience, but it was also like a, a one of a moment that I feel like I, I had a nice bond with um with the you know the land spirits. So many years ago, I had a single diamond stud earring and it had been my mom's been had been part of a pair she lost one at that point I was double pierced in one of my ears and so she asked me if I wanted it you know since I had a double piercing because she you know obviously couldn't wasn't going to wear a single stud because that's not my mom's style um and so she gave it to me and I wore it some and then um I didn't know where it was. My dad asked for it back as he wanted to make a brooch for my mom with some family diamonds. And he asked if he could have it. And I said, I'm sorry, dad. I honestly, I don't know where it is at this point. And I was, I got some hell for that because, oh, you're so irresponsible with your, the single stud that your mom lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay. So um, for a long time, I didn't know where it was. And I went and took a trip to Mount St. Helens. And this is when I was a baby pagan, not not terribly proud of this moment, but I, you know, did my right by it in the end. Um, you know, I went to Mount's visit Mount St. Helens in my early twenties and I saw the signs that said, don't collect ash, don't collect rocks, leave the ash. It's part of the regeneration. Well, I didn't listen cause I was a witch and I knew better. So I like made an offering of my hair or some shit like that and was like, I'm going to take some ash. I asked the mountain and she's okay with it. And I actually was going to give it to a friend. And when I gave it to her, she just, you know, was an older woman and she took me by the hand. She said, honey, I cannot accept this. You need to send it back. This is, I appreciate the thought and you didn't, you know, you, you clearly didn't mean any harm, but that, that mountain needs this ash to regenerate. And so I was like, oh, and I felt really bad. And so I, um, boxed it up and I sent a note to the, you know, to the, um, the, uh, wildlife resource center and was like, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have taken this. I was just wondering if somebody wouldn't mind, um, you know, 
putting it back out on the mountain next time they get it. I actually got a letter back from the parks department at Mount St. Helens. They said, thank you so much. We often get people that return rocks, but very few of them actually send their name and address. So we thought we'd send you a thank you note anyway. Oh my God. <laughs> They're like, so thanks. That really was the right thing to do. If people always took the ash and rocks, the mountain would look very different. And that day I found my earring. Whoa, really? I did. It, it was in my jewelry box. I had like looked in the jewelry box a hundred times since then, but I guess it had been stuck in some corner and it just rolled out on the same day that, you know, I, I made things right with the mountain. So um, it was important. So moral of the story, y'all, not a good idea to take rocks, soil, things like that from, you know, naturally sensitive areas that are in place of regeneration, especially you will see signs that they say, don't do it, don't do it. I learned my lesson. Um, but I do feel like that was, that's, that, that was my, you know, we talked about this the last episode, you get these moments of confirmation where you got that letter from the, your house seller. And this time I found the earring on the day that I, you know, basically the, that got message from the mountain saying all is right up here. You're good. Here you go. And then if somebody said to me, so carbon for carbon, right? And I went, yeah, I guess so. Pretty cool, huh? They're probably like this idiot sent her address. So we should probably send her a thank you. <laughs> they did. <laughs> they were like, you literally told us who you were and yeah. that you stole from us. And I returned it. And um, that's very funny. I probably, again, probably never can run for public office, but whatever. That was already out. Oh my God. That's- I think your inability to run for public office has nothing to do with stealing Mount St. Helens ash. I returned it. <laughs> You're like, listen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so funny. I remember I stole donuts once. <laughs> of and because of, of course it was donuts. Of course you and did. And I remember I was with my ex-husband and we were going on a road trip <laughs> And it's funny. What's really funny is 20 years later, I have the exact same routine for a road trip. Do you still, do you still steal donuts? I, I don't usually steal the donuts anymore. Usually, donuts I don't usually, usually steal them. <laughs> but what we did was we were in a, we were in a rush and we had to get out of town and he went and got donuts while I was waiting in line in the Safeway at the, at the Starbucks to get some coffee. And I'm waiting in line. I'm waiting in line. And I was like, you know what? We don't have fucking time for this. I can't, I can't wait. We just got to go. So we leave. And then we won't, we go and we're in the drive through for McDonald's to get breakfast. And so I can get a coffee. And as we're in the drive through for McDonald's, you know, we're, he's, we're eating our donuts. And all of a sudden I looked at him and I'm like, how's the donut taste? And he's like, good. Why? And I'm like, cause we fucking stole those donuts. We forgot to pay for the donuts. Because we left because we were supposed to pay for them with the Starbucks. And then I decided not to get Starbucks. And so (laughs) this literally bothered me until we came back to town. This literally like, did you pay for them on your way home? Yes. Oh my God. So when I went back, as soon as we came back to town, I ran up to the store to like get milk or, you know, just whatever, a couple little things. And I, I tell the cashier, I'm like, Oh, and I need, I need to pay for two donuts. And she's like, you don't have any donuts. Yes, I'm like, I, I know, but I, I accidentally had donuts now. before and I didn't get charged for it. And she's like, really? And I'm like, seriously, <laughs> I'm, I'm not carrying this around with me. Just charge me for two fucking donuts. And so I ended up paying for the donuts because yeah, I stole donuts. That's my, that's my stealing story. <laughs> so we actually have a listener question uh, that we were wanted to get to. Uh, and that was, hi, Courtney, Hillary, and Kanani. 
every month I think about emailing the three of you this listener question. I have heard that the time of the month can be a good time to do spell work. But what about beforehand? Is there such a thing as pre-menstrual spells? Mm. Different kind of PMS. The challenge I'm having is that I'm always too tired or in a very bad headspace to do workings when I'm having a period. Do you have suggestions on rituals that could be done beforehand to proactively support and fortify myself energetically, physically, and emotionally for this time of the month? I keep thinking there's got to be a way magically to look at this and reduce the sense of depletion. Thanks for your consideration. My first instinct is I wouldn't treat the depletion as a problem. Well, it may, there may be something that's going on um, either hormonally or um, there could be a, a like food or substance thing that's causing that can cause you to feel that way over um, your, you know, while you're on your period, it's always good to you know, talk to your doctor or something about that. But I would also, what, what I'm taking from this is that this isn't a problem to solve. I think that this is your body and your magical way of telling you that you need more restoration during this time period. I don't know what the rest of your life is like. If you're someone who lends a lot of energetic support to others, if you're in a line of work that requires you to expend a lot of energy on other people specifically, um, or if you're, you know, if you're doing a lot of tarot readings and stuff like that, I, d- I don't know what what's going on. But to me, it feels like this. It's it's less about a spell that needs to change that and more about treating a time when you're on your period as a time in which you're restoring balance and you're doing more work to focus on restoring balance in yourself. Um, that can be done through cleansings. You can be doing that through, um, through chakra work, which you can do while you're laying on your bed or laying on your couch and envisioning that any of the energy that's been taken from you, like one thing that I do sometimes when I'm feeling super depleted is if I can get myself into a place where I'm laying down and I can see each of where my chakras are and imagine that I'm pulling energy back in or looking for places Mm. where the energy might've been, you know, too much energy from going to others and, and pull that back. Um, I mean, as someone who reads tarot professionally, in addition to doing this crazy ass podcast, it's a lot of energy to put out there and there's times in which you're going to have to deliberately pull it back. Well, I also think it's a fallacy to say that, you know, that that's a really great time to be doing your spell work. Right. I think that might be true for some people because for some people, there's something about that time that kind of makes them feel more connected, kind Mm -hmm. of makes them feel more feminine, makes them feel more powerful. There's other people where their menstrual cycles are just God awful, horrible and they can't, they can't get off the floor. So it's like, you know, that might not be the time when you feel powerful, when you feel connected and, and that's okay. I think that's why for some people they feel it's powerful is because that's when they feel kind of grounded and, and interconnected with things. Mm -hmm. But you may not feel that way. Like for me, I don't, I, the birth control I have, I don't actually have monthly cycles. I've actually never in my life had regular monthly cycles. Um, but I've, I have realized through that and tracking things actually with my hormones, when they get to those points, uh, they trigger migraines. Mm -hmm. So it's horrible. I mean, I don't have cramps and I don't have all that kind of stuff, but I get, I get two, three days worth of migraines. So it's awful. 
So, you know, that's not the best time for me to be doing my magical work. So I think, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't worry about feeling like you're missing out on a, a good time to right. be kind of tuning in because that just might not be your thing. Though I don't bleed, I still like my horn, I'll still get like PMS essentially. Um, I just won't bleed. And I find that protection magic around that time is really valuable because I find when my hormones are like that, my body is going through that process that I am energetically more susceptible to other people's garbage. So the two things that I really like doing is a protective magic around, you know, kind of building like a force field around yourself, so to speak, to like kind of keep other people's yucky energy away. And then I really love bath magic for getting rid of energy that's stuck to you. And the way that I do it, I always use salt. Sometimes I'll use an essential oil if if it's something, obviously be really careful with essential oils. They're strong. You don't need that much. Make sure that you're not allergic to them. I often will use some essential oil that is related to whatever I'm trying to do, or I will put a stone, a stone or a couple of stones in the bath with me. Um, and then what I do is at the end of the bath, I stand up and I watch everything go down the drain. So mm-hmm. I watch like all that shit that that has come off of me in that bath water, um, all everybody else's stuff. I'm like, bye-bye. You know, and I just watch it, watch it go down the drain. And I think, you know, the other thing that we've discussed, you know, the most important part of magic is your intent. It's your focus. It's your concentration. And yes, there can be kind of good times to do it around a full moon, around a new moon, you know, around a season, a holiday, you know, whatever. There can be times where it's like, hey, you could get maybe a little boost or it could be kind of helpful to do it around there. But I would never tell someone, oh, you missed the full moon by two days. Well, don't do it. You know, it's... it's, Too late. You've missed the full moon. Too bad there will never be another one. Your spell is, you know, (laughs) powerful because you're powerful. So, you know, try and not put kind of, try and not worry too much about these little stigmas of this is the right time to do it. And this is when you do it exactly. And if you don't do it exactly at this time, then it's, it's just not going to be as, you know, potent because it's just not true. Just a reminder, we still have on Instagram our giveaway where you can show us what you've done with your That Witch Life sticker and take a picture of wherever you've put the sticker. We've seen some awesome things. We've seen it on... I'm looking at it right now. It's so fun. We've we've seen it on all kinds of things. Um, and just make sure what you tag us in the image and you hashtag That Witch Love. And we are going to have, we have a giveaway where we are giving away uh, two books. One is the book, The Wicked Baker. We also have the journal Embody Your Magic, a love spell kit, and your very own Screaming Goat. So definitely show us your, your That Witch Life podcast stickers where you've put them. Tag us on Instagram, hashtag That Witch Love. And at the end of February, on February 28th, we're going to take all the entries and randomly select a winner and they're going to get some goodies to take home. It is hash is the, the, the tag is at that, which life podcast. And the hashtag is that, which love L O V E. We actually have some uh, new spell kits that are going to be popping up at our Etsy store. They should be available. Uh, I believe when this, when this episode airs and that is going to be, we have a new luck spell kit that you can get to help bring some luck in your life in case you are trying to get a new job or 
maybe change your situation in some way and you feel like a little, I feel like a little, uh, luck could be helpful. And we also have a, uh, spell kit for the holiday coming up for spring equinox. So you definitely want to check that out. That's going to be kind of a fun day to do some magic. And we have a spell equinox kit, uh, that's also going to be on Etsy. So definitely check that out. Um, we also have reworked our yes. Patreon levels, which is very, very cool. And in addition to bonus content and live virtual events, we now offer early release episodes, extended ad-free episodes, and a quarterly box of magical goodness. We want to thank everyone who is a part of our Patreon and all of our supporters. Last week, we released our conversation with Helena Garcia about filming What We Do in the Shadows. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to this and other witchism content. If you join at the Kanani Boyfriend, Girlfriend, and Friend level, you get the extended ad-free episodes and Courtney pulls a tarot card for you on air. This week, she's pulling a card for Tiffany. Okay, so Tiffany, you got the Empress. Um, the Empress is a card, and we've actually we had this one not too long ago, but you know, it's always good to bring it back out again. So the the Empress is a card of feminine power. Um, it is about creation. It can be about motherhood um, or nurturing someone. So there may be someone in your life who needs a little more care, who needs you to be that that mothering influence, which is sometimes about uh, laying down restrictions and boundaries as much as it is about nurture and care, that person may also be yourself. You may need that nurture and care and you may need to be the one to provide it for yourself. It's also the one that says, um, you know, re enjoy the riches and resources that surround you. Um, find some, create some luxury for yourself, even if it means just simply getting under the blankets and, um, with the heating pad and watching a movie with a piece of dark chocolate. Um, you are hereby told by the tarot to enjoy that kind of energy. So, Thanks again so much, Tiffany, for being um, a Kanani girlfriend, boyfriend, or envy friend. Woo-hoo! And other great ways to support the show, if you can't do a monthly donation, you can buy us a coffee or buy That Witch Life merchandise on Etsy. You can also consider becoming an episode sponsor. It's a great way to promote your business to thousands of witches. You can also purchase a shout out and let people know about your virtual event or just to send love to your favorite witch. Find out more on our website at thatwitchlife.com. And I think we're ready for a word from our sponsors. Yes, indeed. If you've listened to us at all, you know that all three of us are completely obsessed with shiny pretty things, especially me. Shiny pretty things include tattoos and piercings as well as jewelry. 2020 was a total drag. So 2021 is the perfect time to be the best sparkliest version of yourself with some custom tattoo work, killer jewelry, or a new piercing. Adorn Body Art has unique jewelry designs from vendors all over the world, so we were super excited to partner with Adorn as an episode sponsor. Established in 2000, Adorn is a woman-owned tattoo piercing jewelry studio dedicated to offering the best service to their clients and local community with three thriving locations in Southeast Portland, Beaverton, and Vancouver, Washington. Adorn's selection is not only the largest in the Pacific Northwest, but they also carry the highest quality of ornate, ethically sourced, natural 
adornments, which is a big deal for me. From amethyst to rutilated quartz to tiger's eye and citrine, they have jewelry options with stones for every chakra. And you can order online. The thing that separates Adorn from other studios is that they are focused on art and not attitude. Their mission is to help their clients feel like the truest version of themselves and achieve body autonomy. If you're looking to get pierced, Adorn can also assist with custom creating the piece of jewelry of your dreams to be as unique as you. So the possibilities are endless. With ongoing education for each piercer who is also certified through the Association of Professional Piercers and state-of-the-art sterilization and sanitation, you are always safe and get the very best when you come to Adorn. Adorn operates by appointment only, so go to adornbodyart.com where you can also see a sneak peek of the gorgeous jewelry that they carry. Adorn is just amazing, so make sure you check out their incredible jewelry selection or book an appointment today. Thank you to Adorn Body Art for being an episode sponsor. In November, we had the amazing Don Hunt of Kachina Aurora on the show to talk all about food magic. And since then, we've all been obsessed with Kachina Aurora and their line of magical and delicious products. Seriously, I dressed my holiday dinner with a savory sage oil charged for wisdom and knowledge. And I bought my food-loving in-laws Kachina Aurora gift sets, which include infused olive oils, a garlic-infused olive oil for protection, and a rosemary oregano-infused olive oil charged for peaceful energy. I was delighted when Kanani bought me the same set for my Yule present. Now that I've done buying for other people, I am all about getting a bunch of this for myself because I am I'm <laughs> so excited. Kachina Aurora's oils are all made by hand, and they do visualization and meditation over all of them as they're made. So they are infused with not just the flavors, but also the energies of the herbs and spices. And what's super awesome is that Dawn now has a new cookbook available, A Kitchen Witch's Guide to Recipes for Love and Romance. There are just so many good recipes in this book that are both delicious and will also help you focus in on the areas of love you'd like to enhance. I am someone who cooks a lot, so it's a great tool for me to plan meals that complement the magical work I'm doing. For example, she has a kale, chickpea, and quinoa salad designed for both health and opening the heart chakra. But this is a great book for witches who don't cook too. You can use it to think about which foods you might want to eat that will support your magical work as she lists the magical properties in many common foods. Whether you're interested in A Kitchen Witch's Guide to Recipes for Love and Romance or any of the other amazing oils or magical food products that Kachina Aurora offers, they have a special rate for our listeners. Go to kachinaaurora.com and enter Witch Life 2021 at checkout to get 10% off. The offer is good all year. Thank you so much to Kachina Aurora for being an episode sponsor. Witches love movies and love seeing themselves reflected in them for better or worse. So this is super exciting. I am delighted to share that my dear friend and colleague, Heather Green, has released a new book through Llewellyn Books entitled Lights, Camera, Witchcraft, A Critical History of Witches in American Film and Television. Heather is a wonderful writer with a powerful understanding of modern and historical witchcraft. No industry has been as influential at shaping popular notion of what it means to be a witch as much as Hollywood. Lights, Camera, Witchcraft traces the fascinating history of witchcraft and witches in American film and television. 
From Joan the Woman and The Wizard of Oz to Carrie and Charmed, Heather Green explores how these films helped influence the public image of the witch and profoundly influence how women negotiate their power in a patriarchal society. Lights, Camera, Witchcraft uncovers fascinating insights into the intersection of entertainment, critical theory, gender studies, and spirituality. As the world's oldest and largest independent publisher of books for mind, body, and spirit, Llewellyn is dedicated to bringing their readers the very best in metaphysical books and resources through titles such as Lights, Camera, Witchcraft. Since 1901, Llewellyn has been on the forefront of holistic and metaphysical publishing and thought. You can pre-order a copy of Heather Green's Lights, Camera, Witchcraft at Llewellyn.com on Amazon or wherever else books are sold. Thank you to Llewellyn for being an episode sponsor. All right. We are super excited uh, to have joining us three members of the production team of Thorn Trees, an independently produced series about a grieving witch who recruits a repentant witch hunter in Elizabethan England to save her family from a corrupt bishop intent on murder. The Tetum decided to indie produce themselves after pitching and discovering that the entertainment industry is attached to a tradition of witch-based stories being either horror or fantasy that perpetuate stereotypes that are disrespectful and maintain prejudice that very often includes metaphysical practitioners and other light workers as recipients. They were committed to not going down that path. One of their producers is a Wiccan high priestess and pipe carrier. Another is a healing artist, pipe carrier, and is a Christian ordained minister. The team practices many faiths and walks different spiritual paths, respectful of each other, committed to telling a realistic story about a pagan family led by a strong female protagonist. With us from the Thorn Trees team is creator and producer Valerie Michelle Oliver, producer Bernadette Montana, and creator, screenwriter, and producer Jacob Larch. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Hey, thank you for having us. Absolutely. It's a party, right? It's a party. And my, my, my dear friend Bernadette is here. I'm so Uh-oh. excited. Yeah. So now it's story time because every time we have a guest comes on that I have met before, there's usually some kind of very wild story attached. So um, about 10,000 years ago, um, I, would, hmm. I was going up to uh, Bernadette and I were, were coordinating to bring over uh, Janet Farrer and Gavin Bone to the States. And we'd never met before, but there was a lot of email communication. Communication, um, and um, actually, Bernadette, you'll never, <laughs> you'll, uh-huh. you'll never. I never told you this, but Uh-oh. you re- like one of my emails. You responded, and you said, "You know, you're really good at organizing." And up until then, I'd been a real subpar administrative assistant. I'd been just like barely holding on to my job by a thread, and um, <laughs> then I was like yeah, you know what? I think I finally got the hang of it because somebody from the outside just tell me I'm good. And then I met Bernadette two days later and I probably bit her on the top of the head and that's how yes. we became friends. <laughs> yes. Yes. How in the world did that happen? Come on. Uh, You're I, I, I can only... <laughs> I gave her a hug and I just bit her on top of the head and there's a picture to prove it. Yes, there is. I was just about to say somewhere in my archives I have a picture of that. So just... <laughs> A look on on Courtney's face and me just laughing my ass off. Does it? That, that that's all that needs to be said. Yeah, I yeah. love it. We've been yeah. we've been very we've been super close ever since. Yes. 
million years now. Well, that's an unusual but beautiful story. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> that I have this image in my head, you know, of, the, of her head being bitten by you. Yeah, <laughs> I was pretty great. It, I will find it and send it off to you. Of oh, all the weird things that I know that Courtney's done, that I'm not even sure that makes the radar. Sadly, that's probably high that's bar. That's probably true. Actually, yeah, that's it is a high bar. Tony's over there checking her cuticles. Like, when is the real story going to begin, Bernadette? That's <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I always, I always, I always say that there's there's not really anything that someone could tell me that Courtney's done that I'm going to be you know shocked or say, well, that wouldn't happen. It's like, well, most likely. Yes, I'm sure that. Courtney, happens. what does that say about you? Mm-hmm. Lots of things, Bernadette. Lots of things. <laughs> More oh, things no. than she is willing to admit. <laughs> yes, that- indeed. <laughs> I said when I was younger, I I, I want to be someone who has stories, and I have stories. So oh, there's stories. stories. Oh, but we can't forget Hillary. Hillary knows this too. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> now thinking, I'm thinking of, it's funny because um, we recently did a podcast on the portrayal of witches in entertainment in Thorn Trees, and we went and we looked historically at the portrayal of witches, and when you were telling that story, this is so weird, but uh, the first thought that came to my mind was this, oh, you know, um, what's that story about the wicked witch, and she gives the, the girl an apple, and she, you know, wants her to, she bites the apple, and she falls, is that Sleeping Beauty where she bites yes. the apple? Yeah. And I was thinking of no, your head. Snow White. I was thinking uh-huh. Snow, Snow White. White. Snow White. Yeah, you're right. It is Snow White. Snow White. Sleeping Beauty was the spinning wheel. Sleeping Beauty was the spinning wheel. Snow White That's was right. the apple. That's right. Correct. That was the apple. So I'm sorry to say, Bern, I had this image of your head as an apple. <laughs> <laughs> that wicked apple head witch. <laughs> That's fantastic. We just had we just had Helena Garcia from the Great British Baking Show on last week, and um, she has a new book coming out that has like that the cover is the quote unquote poison apple. I mean, obviously it's not really poison, but she developed an entire recipe around a cake that looks like the poison apple from Sleeping Beauty. And honestly, oh. if some witch gave that to me and said, "Here," I'd be like, "I don't care what's in it. I'm going in. You're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going doing at it. it. I'm taking I'm that going risk." At it. I'm going chances. at it like it's. I'm going to go at it like it's Bernadette's head, and I just met her. That's right. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All the stories, oh lots of them. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, mm-hmm. speaking of, one of the first questions I was kind of excited to ask was, how did you come up with the premise of the story? I'm always fascinated when when these stories are created. Kind of, what was the what was the inspiration or the catalyst behind this particular kind of storyline? Okay, well, um, actually, the storyline really evolved when I got together with Jacob, um, and I reached out to Jacob. I was looking for someone to work with me <clears throat> on this project um, through Stage 32, which is this huge sort of international um, site where people who are in the entertainment industry get together and you know communicate and so forth. But there were two reasons um, uh, behind it, and um, actually, there's three reasons. I'm going to try and make them short. One was I was working on another project um, with a group of two writers and a couple, and they were working on a script that was sort of um, Sabrina-ish. Uh, it was about a teenage uh, girl who's in college and in the U.S., and then she discovers that she she's a witch, and then she's connected to Salem and so forth. And at the same time, 
uh, I was watching a new TV series called Who Do You Think You Are? Um, produced by Lisa Kudrow, you know, who was on Friends. She was yeah. producing yes. it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah. She was Silly my patron saint until I discovered Tori Amos. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Silly Phoebe. So she decided that she wanted to produce, and she was producing this great show that's sort of a who do you think you are? It's uh, one of those ancestry shows. And her first guest was Sarah Jessica Parker. And in it, Sarah Jessica Parker discovers that her ancestor, Esther Elwell, was convicted of witchcraft in the Salem area. And she's totally freaked out, had no idea. Can't remember if this was her mother or father's side right now, but um, the episode was trying to find out if Esther was indeed murdered. Um, and she finds out that the day before she was to be hung or burned, I can't remember which right now, England sent over someone who said, okay, stop, we're not doing any more of this over here. And she was like just overjoyed and found out that Esther, I think, died of natural causes. So I was watching that program. It was very touching. And at the same time, I was able, I was producing for uh, the writers and I was able to get the script to Sarah Jessica Parker through her agent and she passed on the script. And when she passed on the script, I thought to myself, well, there's nothing really new or different about this script. It's sort of the same old story about like the teenager, right? Who's in college and discovers that she's a witch and that takes her back to Salem. And it doesn't really share anything new uh, about the history or anything. And I thought, well, what happened before that? What about doing a prequel? What led up actually to the Salem witch trials? It didn't actually start in Salem. It started over in, in Europe, in England. And people came over, you know, to the colonies here in the United States, which it wasn't at that time. And, you know, then things happened from there. So, and the third thing was that um, I'm a healing artist. I have, I guess, what people might call, you know, magical gifts and experiences and things like that. And um, people in, hmm, certain people in my family um, were very, like, uncomfortable around me, um, feeling that I was doing, I don't know, things like voodoo, and, and they were just very uncomfortable being around me. And... Also, people around me, family and friends, I kept hearing them use the word witch. Can I curse on here? I don't know. To, to equate it with the B word. Oh, you can absolutely oh, curse on here. We fucking curse all the time. Bring it. <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. Yes. Bitch. So it was like, mm -hmm. you know, witch was equated with bitch, and I kept hearing it, and I kept saying that's wrong, and I just got sick of it. So those three things kind of came together, and I thought, you know, we're all raised, those of us who aren't as conscious as perhaps we need to be and um, sensitive as we need to be about other cultures and religious or spiritual practices, you know, uh, continue to, uh, we, we, we were raised with these negative images of witches and they were either bad or good and they were always more bad and it was always horror and fighting Satan or they were with Satan, you know, so, um, that's how the idea came forth. And I reached out to Jacob and uh, 
I'll be quiet right now and see if you have any other questions. Or Jacob, if you want to add anything to that, please do. Um, yeah, the Val reached out to me with a, a single line premise. Now, one of my one aspect I have as a writer is I'm uh, quite avid in reading history of various uh, eras, and when I I'm given a project or I come across a project, I tend to dive into it with both feet and do an awful lot of reading. Um, and Val came to me with uh, a concept. It's a single line that said, a witch investigating the murder of other witches hires a policeman to help her. So I looked at it and went, well, firstly, the police weren't around then. The, the police in England came into force about 200 years later. There were militiamen, there were watchmen, there were night watchmen, but there were no actual policemen. The closest thing... And I said, this is going to be quite interesting. The closest thing to a policeman or an investigator is a witch hunter. So the story becomes quite dynamic when you suddenly say a witch recruits a witch hunter. But what witch hunter would willingly work with a witch to solve the murder of her kind? And I, I phrased it to Val like this because she, she pretty much gave me carte blanche to create the whole story in the entire cast. And I'm very, very grateful to her for that um, and the world. So it... As I started my usual incoherent ramblings, I came to the point of saying that a witch hunter would need a reason. In other words, they, wouldn't, they would have to be probably disavowed or retired or left or repentant or in some way ashamed of what they've done. And the more I, I dived into the era and the writings and the history, the more I came across stories and reports and incidents of what today we call PTSD. Uh, what today we deal with in terms of post-traumatic stress disorder with soldiers or policemen or people who've lived a life where they are empowered by the state to use violence against a civilian population. And there are many people who justify their actions, but there are also a fair percentage who have nightmares and who don't and turn against it. Um, they found out in a while ago in, in Great Britain, one of the if you took a demographic of all the people who entered the priesthood, one of the highest demographics of former professionals was people from the military who'd seen frontline service. So I took this premise and, and, and ran with the idea of, um, firstly, the investigator, uh, the witch hunter. I then went with the question of, okay, if you murder someone, if you pull a knife and stab it into somebody, who do you blame? The knife? or the hand that holds it, and you blame the hand, don't you? So what if these murders are instituted, or rather uh, instigated, use a better word, what if they're instigated by a mob? What if the mob is set to purpose by a higher power? Who do you blame? The mob of terrified, frightened, xenophobic, prejudiced villagers? Yeah, you can do. <laughs> or do you want to blame the voice that sits behind them, the person who pointed them in that direction, the person who wound them up, the person who used hate speech, the person who used fake news, the person who manipulated truth and facts? This is amusingly, especially in America, a very topical conversation point at the moment over recent events. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was like, well, this is, sounding, this is sounding familiar. 
You're like lead. funny, spot on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lead character, yeah. lead protagonist, Rachel, spots that even though witches are being killed by their communities, it's not necessarily their communities that are at fault. It's the voice behind them. It's the power behind them. It's what links them. Why are they being simultaneously killed? Because when I started, when I started reading, the first thing I found, and there are, there are Christians out there who might disagree with this, but I'm um, sorry, this is actually the, the historical research I've come across. If you were to step back in time into the 1600s or the 1500s, the length and breadth of England, there was a witch in every village, and they were quite open. They were quite common in Wales. They weren't even called the word witch. The word didn't exist. They thought when the English started the witch trials and the Scottish under King James II started the witch trials, that they were all a bit mad because what do you mean you're persecuting people who deliver babies and cure people and work with, with natural medicine? The, 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 the part of the community, you know, you, you know you're stupid or what? I mean, it's, it's almost like cutting off your own leg. So, and in England, bear in mind Henry VIII split from the church because of reasons of wanting a son and not wanting to pay tithes to the church. Good cause. August into his pocket. England had gone from devoutly Catholic, with Henry VIII being named Defender of the Faith, to Protestant, to his daughter Mary being Catholic again. If you're Protestant, you're now dead. If you're Catholic, you're good. To she gets replaced by Elizabeth. By the time you come to the story in 1590, England doesn't know what to believe. It's gone through 50 years of religious hell, like a pendulum of belief. So people will believe whatever they believe that isn't going to get them killed. If I've got to kneel down and genuflect in a church, I'm going to kneel and genuflect in a church. If I'm going to sing psalms in English rather than Latin, I'll sing them in English. Oh, next week's Latin. Okay, I'll switch to Latin. People didn't care. They just wanted to survive. And witches were no different. People who practiced the craft, they went into church. It was illegal to not go to church. So you then come back to the story, and you have this situation where here's a family, or two families, run by two sisters, Two witches, two very powerful practicing witches, and they go to church, and their children go to church, and they practice their own craft, and people turn to them for tarot readings, and healing, and and fortune telling, and seership, and all the other craft items that they have, and they are part of the community, and suddenly, that community is roused and riled to anger to rise against them. And our protagonist, Rachel, suddenly realizes what on earth is going on. And it's at this point she has in her hands a witch hunter, or rather a former witch hunter. He is sick of killing. He's been in something called the Trier Witch Trials over in Germany. He wants to run. He wants to go to the colonies. He wants to go to the Americas. He wants to start again. And Americas is almost nothing other than Jamestown at this point. It's minute. It's tiny. He just wants to get away from the life he's led. And he comes across Rachel and finds himself owing his life to her. And she says, well, you can pay me back because I need help with your services. And the story grows from there. I think that's amazing. I think one of the things I actually, Jacob, I heard in an interview you gave that you said uh, that I thought, I, I guess I'd never thought a whole lot about, but it kind of it just, it was very eye-opening, was you made a comment about that there's all kinds of, of stories and movies and uh, books and shows about the Elizabethan time period. But most of the time it's set in terms of the nobles and the royalty and the very, very rich, and you know, we get to see the 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 grand places that they lived, and the fancy yep. outfits, and That's and right. all of the extraordinary, you know, luxury that they had. There isn't really a whole lot that really depicts what normal people's lives were like. Just exactly. your normal everyday people that lived in the town, lived in the village, 
um, and and the struggles that they faced. Mm-hmm. You have I discovered a quite a wealth of information in terms of the the delicate balance people had to have because the bear in mind most people didn't move more than 15, 10, 15 miles away from their front door. And if you traveled, it was because you were a traveling person, you were a merchant or a gypsy or a player. At one point, traveling players were looked down on as being somehow unclean or uncivilized or they carried disease. They were the first people that someone uh, blamed. Um, the, the majority of a population would be born, grow up, live and die within the same 10, 15, 20 square miles. So when you consider that and the influence that comes into a village, suddenly you're, you're, we're trying to portray a story and the audience is asked to buy into a story where, the, where you say, yeah, we're going away from the perfume nobles and the roofs and the collars and the, and, and the dueling swords and the, the trappings of state and ceremony. We're looking at how people actually lived and you'd be surprised into how relatable it is to people today. The village was self-sustaining. They traded with local villagers who were also self-sustaining. You followed your parents into a trade or you apprenticed yourself to someone else for a trade. You, you had a variety of means at your disposal. So this created a fascinating opportunity to tell the story from a very feminine point of view. Of course, women in England uh, didn't, didn't receive uh, the vote until 1918, just after the, uh, uh, the end of uh, the First World War. So this is... 300 years earlier, just over 320 years earlier. So we're dealing with a period where women are not only women, but also the peasantry, also the common people. They have to be, how do you you phrase it? You have to be both indispensable and invisible. You have to be able to live your life in a way that makes you part of a community and useful to everybody around you, but not so much that you'd be noticed. The people in power, the people who ride around with the weapons and the local militias who are called to arms and the people who, if they want to do the persecution, can very much do that persecution, are somehow they're able to go about their job and not notice that you're there. You're just weaving the baskets, fishing in the sea, plowing the fields, tending the horses, you're doing your job, yada, yada, day in, day out, you go to church, nobody minds. But deep down, does that mean you don't have a life? No, you have your own life, your own personality, you have your own loves, your own desires. They are no different to people today. It's a very simple way of life in a sense. And these people had no concept of what existed beyond their village. There's a phrase in the pilot episode where one of the characters is going to a fair and she says, we'll get sailors, we'll get stories, we'll get songs. In other words, this is almost like reading the newspaper, not that they had newspapers, not that they could read. The Gutenberg printing press was very basic in its its infancy at this point in time. So people relied upon in this lifestyle word of mouth. They, as a result, superstition, lies, mistruths, rumors, all these things were taken as true. All these things were taken as real. And it's a battle for people to work out what is true and what is not. And what is, uh, upon what information do they base their reality and, uh, and they base their truth. Which brings us around to the lead character, Rachel, the, lead, uh, uh, the uh, protagonist. How do you be a woman in a world where men make the rules and yet that world has just been upset because England has a queen, the first queen who doesn't want to take a husband, doesn't see the need to take a husband, and is quite happy, thank you very much, being uh, a figure of power and authority and balancing all that she had to balance. I wouldn't want to be Queen Elizabeth, honestly. She's my favorite royal <laughs> in the world, and I absolutely admire the woman. She's amazing. 
How she did what she did, I have no idea. But it sends a message out to all women, if she can do it, maybe we can. And it sends a message out to all men, don't be so secure in your position. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Jacob. I just wanted to jump in here for a second. And um, I forgot one, uh, one very important reason why I decided to go forward and reach out to Jacob. And that was because also I consulted with Bernadette. Um, because I wasn't feeling very, very secure that um, this kind of story would be supported by witches, by Wiccans, by pagans. Um, and so I began talking with her very early, early in the process and asking her, did she think that this was an important story to tell? And mm -hmm. also began talking to her about magic and how I was very... Uh, like the way that magic is portrayed often in the, a lot of the films and TV series that I'd seen growing up, um, I didn't find it to be realistic in terms of the witches and their life and their families and, you know, how they live it on a daily basis and, you know, how magic is a part of their life. So mm -hmm. I reached out to Byrne and started talking to her about it. And Byrne said, what did you say, Byrne? <laughs> I, well, okay. So if we're going to go back, cause uh, Val and I have known each other for many years, but I will say that an example would be something that my elder uh, uh, taught me or my elders taught me. And I know that uh, Courtney and Hillary um, can back me up on this where uh, uh, Gavin Bone literally said, close your eyes and put your hands out. So when you say, what is magic? Your eyes are closed, your hands are out. And he puts something in my hands. So then he says, open up your eyes and it's a plant. And he says, that's magic. So basically life is magic. The intent that you put out there is magic. I'm paraphrasing Val, cause it's been so long. Um, since we had that initial, uh, uh, uh conversation but it magic is the ability to change your environment and and to change things around you I, i'm i'm totally simplifying it but it's certainly not all the cgi stuff that we see um you know in movies today <laughs> it would be nice though i mean let's be real I would love to be able to light my candles with my fingertips but unfortunately yeah. <laughs> sadly sadly that's not the case well, I, I just want to talk about Bernadette's bravery and trust because I don't have that kind of trust with Gavin Bone because if I put my hands out and close my eyes, he put a spider in my hands. I know that. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. <laughs> so, or, 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 or a mouse. Yeah. yeah. Then, oh, I could deal with a mouse, but if someone set a spider in my hands and I open my eyes, I'd just die of a heart attack immediately. <laughs> like it would be over. And I like, and I feel bad too, because I'd probably like drop the spider. I don't know. Like it would be bad. <laughs> I don't like killing them, but I'm also terrified of them. So I'm just mm -hmm. like, no. I just see, I just see the conversation with me and Gavin. Oh, close your eyes and hold out your hands. Not closing my eyes. Like, you can pick no. one or the other. I'll hold up my hands when the eyes stay open, or I close my eyes and I don't hold out my hands. Gavin, I'm sorry if I'm missing a big a big mystery true. here, but I'm not doing it. You're like, I'm going to need you to sign here saying that that's not going to be a spider. Uh, no, okay. he would he would he would find some tricky way of being like, oh, I didn't put my final initial in it, so I didn't really sign it. So, <laughs> oh my god, it's true he, though. He's a bit mischievous. A bit. Uh, Bernie, can I ask you something? You said you've known yes. Val for many years. Yes. Did it start with a bite on the head? 
That's good. I, it literally kind of started with Val coming me, but yeah. we both are pipe carriers. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Because I have, uh, um, you know, I am Taino, so um, yeah, I work with an all nations tribe. And, and so we, we had that in common at the very first, at, at the very beginning. So that was yeah, cool. beautiful. Yeah. And that was really cool because just like in the series, I, I didn't realize uh, because I'm, I, I, definitely consider myself a Christian um, or started out that way. I just learned that they're like everything connects and it was okay to be Christian. It was okay to be yes. a Native American pipe carrier. It was okay to have a very strong attraction to earth-based religions, you know, pagans. Mm-hmm. And, and so she just really helped me to like be okay with it all. And, and then also the conversations about magic and, you know, how I was experiencing magic in my life. And then also talking to Jay up about magic and him getting it like really quickly, you know, how we were going to approach magic in thorn trees. And um, it's interesting because when I was first talking to Jacob about this, um, creating the series, and like he said, just gave him carte blanche um, to create it after having some discussions about different elements that I wanted to see in it. Um, One of the things that um, I was aware of was that, um, well, you know, how how did uh, witches, um, how were witches of service to their community and to their country? And Jacob just sort of ran with it with this just wonderful idea about how the witches were helpful and useful uh, to the crown, um, but yet it comes back to bite them, as we say, in the butt for giving their trust. Or on the head. Or on the head. Or on the head. 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 Um, That's going to be a thing now. That's going into Thorntree. This is so... (laughs) The head bite is going in. I said the head bite is now going to go into somebody's backstory. It's going to happen. I was going to say, yes. Can I play that person? I have an acting background. One little cameo of the crazy witch who comes in and bites the head, and then immediately she goes to the gallows. This would never happen. This isn't realistic. Why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're an actress. You know, one of the things that I, I wanted to sort of get in here before, before we end today is that. Um, I'm thinking about having a table reading of the script. Um, if Vern and, and Jacob are on board with that, because we've we've yep. not heard the script yet, and I'm just really looking forward to just hearing it. Because I was told that when you you hear the script being read, it really brings it to life. You get to see what's really you know wonderful about it, what's right on point, and what might not be you know particularly just right yet so i'm throwing that out to you let us know you know if you'd like I'm to in. participate in that in. In. I, okay. I, yeah. yes please yes yes please yes, we are in. Make all of us make kanani act she hasn't acted since the seventh grade i have well, not <laughs> acted since rocky horror picture show that's when i have oh my god oh, oh. long time i played magenta. I, I, my first time i played the first night it was funny i i had never done anything like that before and i actually played rocky 
And the crowd <laughs> loved me so much that they asked me the next night to come in and play Dr. Frankenfurter. And so I oh ended up gosh. playing Dr. Frankenfurter, which was That's so good. fabulous, bravo, let me just say. Bravo. Yeah. Well, in seventh grade, she played Kate in Taming of the Shrew. And That's then she ad libbed, like at the end. Like she went through the Shakespeare, and at the end, she just went, like, You know what? My sister Bianca is a fucking bitch, or whatever we were able to say. <laughs> I don't think we could say in, that in seventh grade. But, yeah. I can't swear, but whatever whatever seventh graders use to just what, but she did. A she just jerk or something like all that. Of a sudden, yeah. All of a sudden, turned it around. She goes, I don't know why everyone's calling me a shrew. Has anybody seen the way she's behaving recently and like went off the rails? Oh my god! Oh my god. Yeah, we're we're Perfect. totally in. I mean, I would I would totally be in to do that. Super fantastic. And I've acted in the last decade, in the last two years since basically twenty twenty. <laughs> You know, we all know that witches and magic and these kinds of, uh, you know, fun, fanciful storylines, they sell. People love it. it. All people love it. And so I, I want to thank you for actually caring about how actual people in the magical community and pagan community and people who call themselves witches care about the depiction because that's not something that is often ever cared about. You know, it's just kind of, we know this sells and we know it's fun. So we're just going to go with it. And, and it's not necessarily ever something that is, um, you know, tried to make true to life. So the fact that you cared about that, I think is, is that's really fantastic. Yeah. I just wanted to say, um, yeah, you're welcome. It's um, it's funny because um, when we were uh, uh, having our Zoom discussion about the portrayal of witches in entertainment, we had Peg K. Alloy, you know, the media witch, um, who joined us that day as co-host, and Byrne was the host. And um, people, by the way, can catch that on uh, our YouTube channel for The Pursuit Studio. Um, but one of the reasons also is, you know, we're in a world now where... Um, we're trying to include as much include as much diversity as possible in storytelling. Um, to be inclusive in terms of stories that may not have been told, and it's not that I'm against fantasy and horror at all because it's as you say you know people want to put their fingers together and create fire who doesn't you know and, and all kinds of cool stuff like that um but there's such a preponderance of horror and such a preponderance of fantasy um over and over and over and over again and you know as as i wrote on the uh, in, in in the email to you guys in terms of the content to share um i had a very difficult time pitching to executives because they would say what there's like oh but this is about fantasy right or um this isn't fantasy or and i talked to jacob about it i just got so discouraged um because the mindset was witches, horror, witches, fantasy. And that's not very diverse. You know, there's there's many more stories that can be told that can fit into other genre, like ours is historical period drama. Um, 
I often, I thought also about faith-based because, you know, religion, spirituality, for some reason, when people create faith-based stories, they tend to mean Christian only. And I don't think that's right either. And, and, and I talked to someone who's a producer about it, and I said, there's a story that I would like to pitch as faith-based. And she said, mm, well, faith-based, she just confirmed it, pretty much means Christian stories right now. So I said, oh, well, we can't pitch it that way either, you know, to studios or networks or, you know, and that kind of thing. And um, it, it was very disheartening. So I, I couldn't see any other way to go except to self-produce ourselves with support from the variety of individuals and community who call themselves witches or Wiccans or pagans um, so that we could be true to telling the story. Because the other thing is that if we were to sell the script um, and turn it over to you know, a production company, Jacob and I would probably have no say in making certain that um, the story would be told as we wrote it. It might be just turned back into, into a horror or a fantasy show. So the only way that, that I can see, unless anybody else has some other ideas or a way to do it, is for us to keep creative control of it and have, um, you know, Witches, Wiccans, Pagans, British history buffs, American history buffs, because this is a prequel to Salem, um, with us um, as supporters, influencers, and investors. Otherwise, mm, we, we just might lose it. Um, so I wanted to uh, share that as a reason why we're we're doing it the way that we're doing it and hoping <laughs> that... You know, we have the support from uh, you folks and from your listeners. And I could absolutely attest to that choice. And there is, I, I want creators to remember that that is an option because it can be very difficult to publish something, especially when it, or have something produced that's that far out of the box. When I did my tarot deck um, well over a decade ago now, it um, I was told this won't sell 10,000 copies because it's... Um, you know, it's photography. It dates too quickly. It's too much like the Rider Wake. It's not enough like the Rider Wake. I had heard a lot of different things. And um, I eventually just said, okay, I'm going to self-produce. It is really hard to self-produce. And I did rely on immense amount of support from the witchcraft community who bought copies in advance. And it's a bit of a joke on the main publishers now, because <laughs> now that I'm out of print with Terror of the Burrows, they're very expensive. You can find them on eBay for well over $200 when I was selling them for 30 bucks. Wow. You know? So yeah. that's the kind of thing. And that's the kind of very true. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. I have that deck. Yes, I do. And you know what? I won't blame you if you sell it and go on vacation with Tommy. It's totally cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things too, that is, one of the reasons I'm excited for, for your project and for things like this is, you know, there's, there's different ways that we can really bring understanding and acceptance to the pagan witchcraft community. One of those is just exposure, you know, and, and I, I talked a little bit about, I've talked in previous episodes about there's a new um, Disney show called the owl house and in the first story, in the premise of the story, although it's very, of course, fanciful and, and cartoony and, and 
you know, silly kind of magic. But the premise of the story is us is, uh, us weirdos need to stick together. And the premise of the story is it's okay to be different and it's good to be unique. And, and it's great to accept the uniqueness amongst your friends. And it's these little stair steps. And, but I think as much as we've kind of made it more okay in the mainstream to be pagan and to, to call yourself a witch, they already say, I think it was like what, which witches outnumber Presbyterians or something like that in the United States. You know? I, I like. Yeah. Presbyterians. So, um, Whatever. Sorry, Presbyterians. Actually, most Presbyterians I know are actually also witches. So they kind of throws the number off. <laughs> there, you, there you go. There you go. We want it to be okay in the mainstream, but there's still, because there is that fantasyful aspect about it you know I think they're still kind of like oh they think they can just you know light a candle with their finger or just make something appear on a table there isn't there still isn't an understanding of what it actually is because it's always presented in a in a fanciful way that I I'm I love the the idea of of actually presenting it as no this is actually what they do and then they can then they can not only already kind of think it's okay or, or not no longer be nervous about it, but to actually gain a level of understanding of, of what a practice really looks like. And elevating that, you know, witches are good, decent people because this podcast is doing the opposite to the reputation of most witches. They're like, Oh, they're like, they're like those guys. No, thank you. Those guys. No. (laughs) So I think between us, both our partnership, y'all we're evening out the playing field. We are, we are, Continuing to malign witches, y'all are elevating us. Somehow the seesaw is even. Thanks so much. Oh my god. <laughs> well, well, we don't want you guys to think that the story is uh, uh, because it's about villagers and it's because uh, because it's more sort of you know um, natural how things actually exist you know in, in families and communities that it's boring because believe you me it is not it's very it, there's parts of this that is so intense the way that Jacob wrote it um, the script uh, we've had a couple of people who are in the industry read the script and um everybody comments about the opening how extremely cinematic it is and how very powerful and potent so if people want to uh, you listeners out there um if you go to the youtube channel the pursuit studio you can look at the opening scene sort of sequence for uh thorn trees right at the pursuit studio uh, YouTube, or you can go to the Pursuit Studio website and you can look at um, the uh, trailer there um, and check it out. But there's there's a lot of intrigue. There's there's a lot of um, oh boy, um, everything that any and all of us have experienced in our lives. Um, every aspect of it from. Oh, gee, the, the really wonderful aspects of life and the really horrible aspects of life in relationships as well. So um, kudos to you, Jacob. You actually just did a perfect segue. I think we're going to uh, quickly play a clip of the show for our listeners. of a man with a sword. I don't know 
who he is. But we need help if we're to survive. Our village will be cleared if we can't pay the rent. Without homes, without food, we'll be dead by winter. I have to do something to help. I have to open the door no matter what comes through. We have to try to save our lives. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm, I'm excited for uh, our listeners. Definitely go to our website and check out the trailer 
and watch the trailer because it is phenomenal. I am I am absolutely you. hooked and excited. Oh yeah, I'm really really Thank excited you. for this. Where can people follow you guys? Where can people learn more about this project and find out more about your work? Um, well, um, they can uh, jump on their browser, type in the Pursuit Studio, and that'll take you to the website. And from there, you can find out more information about Thorn Trees. You can join our Facebook group for supporters and influencers and potential investors because we're trying to get as many people who uh, practice are in the witchcraft community, Wiccan, Pagan, you know, we kind of tried to identify who we thought would, would, would most prim- primarily be interested in supporting us, and that's history buffs as well, British and American, and people who are into female empowerment because we have yeah. a female protagonist, very strong, Ooh. and we're going to need you know bucks to get this done. Anybody who's a producer has any contacts, you know, I believe in six degrees of separation. Somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who can help us, you know, get this made. And so there's the Facebook group which is called, uh, you know, Thorn Trees. And what else? Uh, Yes, our YouTube. Um, Just go to YouTube and type in The Pursuit Studio. Uh, You can check out the trailer there and portrayal of which is an entertainment discussion that we had. You can get in contact with us through The Pursuit Studio website easiest by using the contact form and just letting us, you know, hear from you and, and, you know, what you're interested in, what you'd like to do. Um, again, I'm going to pitch if you're an actor, actress, and you'd like to be a part of, um, uh, having a table reading, a virtual table reading of the script, let us know. Also, um, let us know by contact uh, form as well. If you're a witch who owns a business, and because uh, we're trying to put together another a Zoom discussion focused on which is in business, looking for a co-host, hoping Byrne will host it because she's uh, an entrepreneur. And, um, mm-hmm. and let us know what, you, what your issues are, what you would like us to discuss. Because um, I th- a couple of months ago before, uh, before COVID hit, there was an article about the boom of witches in business and where did this come from and how come there's so many witches in business? So we'd like to explore that and have a discussion about it. So again, just use the contact form at the Pursuit Studio website and let us know. And thank you for the question. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. It's been absolutely wonderful to have you on. We also want to just thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, the best way is to subscribe and spread the word. Please also consider leaving us a rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also buy us a coffee or check out our merch on our Etsy store. For bonus content, become a supporter on Patreon. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question, to answer on a future episode, you can go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, keep moting that shit and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thank y'all. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for having us. So mote it be. I don't know. COVID has changed me in a lot of ways. I don't know they'll be biting heads once we're back That's out in public. True. It's, you know, you have a point there. <laughs> Ladies, as far as I'm concerned, if we can get this made and get an IMDb, that's going on the trivia page. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Absolutely.
So that's it. Um, I knew I was never going to get to run for public office, but definitely it's out now. Yes. No. 